Well, happy Easter. I'm Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at Cross Point Community Church. And in the old days, on Easter Sunday, when someone would greet you, they would have this thing and they would say, He is risen. Some of y'all have heard it before. So let's practice. He is risen. Awesome. Hey, so glad that you've joined us today. So glad that you're here with us for those that are online as well. And then also today, first time ever, there is a campus in Schulenburg, Texas, that are joining us right here online. So we're excited about what God's doing there and look forward to what's happening. So um, if you have your Bibles, we're looking at John chapter 11, and we're starting a new series entitled My Story. All of us have a story. Each one of you is from your birth to the end, you have a story in that dash. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at people's stories and asking the question of how does our life intersect with our story, intersect with Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at the story of Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha and how their story intersected with the story of Jesus in John chapter 11. But before we get to John chapter 11, I want to kind of give you a preview of what's happening before we get to chapter 11. In chapter 10, Jesus had gone to the temple, and in the temple they were selling stuff inside of the court. And they were selling some things, and they were, which was a common thing, but they were actually selling extras, and they were selling things that were blemished. And so it angered Jesus, the righteous anger with inside of him. And so he cleansed the temple. He turned over the tables and kind of upset the apple cart, so to speak. And what he wanted people to understand was that the place, the place of the temple, was a place of worship and not a place to make a profit, not a place to to, uh, cheat other people. And so there was here he is now at the end of his ministry. He's been ministering for about three and a half years. And so one of the final acts that he does is he goes into the temple and he cleans it. And because of that, the religious people were extremely upset. And they actually chased him out of town with stones. They were throwing stones at him and the disciples and said, you better get out of here. And so Jesus and the disciples ran away, kind of hid for a little bit because they understood the intensity of the situation. And uh, as they're standing there, kind of hanging out together for a few days around a campfire. Now, this is my mind, okay, taking this. It doesn't actually say that in the Bible. But this is my mind. The disciples are sitting around a campfire. They're talking about stuff. And Jesus, when are we going to go back to Jerusalem? What's next? And, and in the midst of that gathering together after being tossed out of town, news comes to Jesus that one of his best friends by the name of Lazarus is very sick to the point of death. And so they talk about it for a little bit, and Jesus says, hey, I understand he's sick, but it's not time yet. You know, God will bring glory to himself at the right time. And so they, they talk. Jesus continues to teach and prepare his disciples for what's about to come, for he knows that these are his final days, and the disciples are really anxious because of what's just happened, and they don't really want to go back to Jerusalem because they're scared that it could be the end of their life, and not understanding that in reality, Jesus' death is about to happen in, in a few days. And so they're gathered there together, and um, finally the word comes about four days in, hey, it's time for us to go back. So the disciples are like, now you know, it hasn't been that long, they're going to remember us. They just got fresh wanted posters put up in the post office with our pictures. They're going to know who we are. And he's like, it's time. So Jesus and the disciples, after about four days, begin to make their journey back to a town called Bethany, which is a suburb just outside of Jerusalem, just a couple of miles outside. And the reason that he showed up was because he got word that his best friend Lazarus had died. And so Jesus's disciples and him moved to this place called Bethany with the anxiety of what could possibly happen, and they know that Lazarus has just passed away. And so this is the scene that we're jumping into in John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. 
If you have your Bibles, it'll be there. If not, it'll be on the screen. John chapter 11, starting at verse 17, it says this. When Jesus arrived in Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. In other words, he's dead and he's stinking. Okay? He's dead and he's stinking. So he's dead, dead. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. Next verse. And many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha and their loss. And so as Jesus shows up in Bethany, there are people there. They're gathered around. They've brought potlucks. They've done all the different things that they do. And in Jewish custom, for the first three days, there were actually professional people that were paid to grieve. You had a, they had some rules and, and some different things that they would do. And so there were several people there that were paid to grieve. And for the first three days... Friends and family would come, but then there were also those professional grievers. That was their job. They would go from funeral to funeral, dressed up in black, and they would grieve and they would weep, and they would just kind of keep people in the spirit of grieving. I don't understand it, but that's what they did. And so Jesus shows up, and this is kind of happening. And in verse 20, we see Martha gets word that Jesus is coming. And again, consistent with Jesus, every time he would begin to come into a town Because of his teaching, because of the authority, because of ministries, word kind of traveled ahead of time. And so that word is traveling. And so Martha hears that, and she runs out to greet him. And she went to meet him. But Mary, who's grieving, stays in the house. In verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that's a natural reaction, isn't it? I mean, she is one of the best friends of Jesus. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha was an often place, was a place that Jesus would often stop and stay and eat and hang out. They would play Monopoly together. They were hanging out. They were best friends. And so Jesus had come. And so Martha understood who Jesus was. And so whenever Jesus shows up late, this is a natural response. If you had been here, you could have healed my brother. But even now... I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So here she is. She knew that Jesus could heal, but she's also giving maybe a little bit of a prophecy of, God, Jesus, I know that you can do even more than that. Verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Kind of off the cuff, and she's like, yeah, I know. Yeah, he'll rise when everyone else rises. At that moment on the last day, whenever the last day is, everyone that has faith in Christ, that has Abraham faith at this moment, will be raised up from the dead and will spend an eternity with God. She, she had that mindset. But Jesus follows that up and says, no, there's even more to it than that. Verse 25, Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Now, this is the gospel message. This is the good news. This is the Easter message. Jesus is proclaiming to Martha, I am, which is a statement of he is God, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, this is an act of confession, that you believe in who I am and my acts and that what I did on the cross is sufficient to cover over your sins. For everyone who believes in me, believes in me, will never die. This is the the scope of it. For John 3.16 says, for God has sent his son for everyone, for the entire cosmos. And here Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me shall not perish and have everlasting life. One of the interesting things about the gospel is this, is that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for you and I. He stepped in as a substitution for us. In a human court of law, whenever someone is declared guilty, 
The judge has an opportunity to meet the full satisfaction of the law or to offer mercy. So if you're found guilty of something and that, that the stipulations are that's 30 years in prison or less, a judge could give you the maximum sentence, which is 30 years, and that would meet the full sentence of justice. Or he can offer mercy to you and give you less. He can do one or the other. He cannot do both. He cannot full justice and offer mercy in a human court. In the court of God, full justice has to always be met. And so in that moment, because of full justice has to be met, that means all of us, because of our sins, have to die to cover over our mistakes. However, the loving kindness of God wanted to offer mercy and still had to satisfy justice. And so therefore, he had to put a replacement in for us. And so in the court of God, to satisfy the full justice and to offer mercy, Jesus steps in. So whenever God looks at us as the judge and says, you are guilty, our response is yes. But Jesus steps in our place and says, I receive the punishment for you. So therefore, full justice is met, but also full mercy is met in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that what he did on the cross satisfied that. That's why in the scripture it tells us that for three hours there was darkness on earth while he was on the cross. When he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. In that moment, for three hours, Jesus was in a state of separation from the Father and our sins were upon him. He was satisfying what needed to be satisfied, the justice that needed to be met in that moment for us. That all creation groaned and cried out because it understood what was happening. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that the sun went dark. It was dark over the entire earth, over the entire cosmos. The sun did not shine, and the earth shook. As a matter of fact, there were people, the earth shook so violently that graves opened up, and the faithful before actually walked out and were walking through town. The earth groaned because it cried out for salvation like our hearts cry out for salvation. And Jesus, in this little bitty phrase, it says, everyone that believes in me shall not die. That's what he's saying. There's so much in that phrase that everyone who lives in me believes in me and will never die. That that moment when you breathe your last breath, that you take this next step into eternity and you're now sitting in the right hand of the Father and enjoying fellowship with him because of what Jesus did on the cross. And he asked that question of Martha, do you believe this? And guess what she said? Yes, Lord. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. This confession of belief. Romans 10, 9 and 13 tells us that if you confess with your heart, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a period at the end of that, and that saved means that you are eternally in that moment of confession of mouth and belief of heart. You enter into a covenant relationship with God the Father through what Jesus did, that it was a marriage ceremony in that moment. It's just like you're saying your vows before each other, I do. And when you say I do, God puts a wedding ring on your finger, symbolic of the covenant that you've made. Now, there may be times where you want to take that marriage You may want to take that wedding ring off and you want to go pursue other things. Jesus says, I will never take that ring off. We have made a covenant and you can run as far from me as you possibly want to run from me, but you can never leave me. I will not leave you. 
That is the confession and the covenant that takes place in that moment. Verse 28. Then she returned to Mary, Martha, then returns back, and she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. And what does she do? She falls down at his feet. She runs to the outside of the village, the place where Mary and Martha were at. And when the people were there consoling, they ran out with her, and she fell at his feet, began to weep. Verses 32 and following. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, again, the human response, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Those thoughts of just, Jesus, I know that you could have provided. When Jesus saw her weeping and the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. Now, again, this is that anger that he had in the temple whenever he cleansed it out. Why? Because there were people hanging around. This is day four. So those that were professional weepers and wailers should have already been gone. There were people that were hanging around because they thought that Jesus might show up. They wanted to see a show. And so that angered Jesus that there were people kind of hanging out, and they weren't truly there for the family. And a deep anger welled up with inside of him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, Jesus asked. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. So if you need a verse to say that you've got memorized, this is it, all right? Jesus wept. Then people were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Again, the tension with which Jesus lived. He could never do enough for some people. Verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rode across its entrance, its entrance, and rolled the stone aside, Jesus said. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. He's stinky, in other words. When, he, if we, when we open that up, it's going to be stinky. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you, you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, now what I want you to see in this is that this is a prayer that Jesus is offering But it shows us that Jesus had already been praying for this. He's showing us that he's already prayed this prayer before. But now what he's showing the people that are around is, I'm about my father's business. This is not about my glory. This is about my father's glory in this prayer. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all those people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Well, we've even talked about over the last few weeks that everywhere that Jesus went, everything that Jesus did, it was not about his agenda or his glory. It was about the Father's business and the Father's glory. Then the next verse. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Now, here's what you need to know, that Jesus had to be very specific. The voice of God had to be very specific and to call out Lazarus. Because if he had just said, come out, there would have been a bunch of people coming out. And that would have freaked people out, wouldn't it? I mean, not that it's not crazy enough that he goes, Lazarus, come out. I'm sure people are going, mm-hmm, we're going to have to go get him. But no, what happens? And a dead man came out. Now, here's my crazy mind. These are the things I think about late at night when I'm thinking about Scripture and stuff, is that here's Jesus. He's rolled the, they've had the stone rolled away, and he crawls out to Lazarus. And in those days when they would bury you, they would put you in this white gown. They would bound your head. They would bound your feet. They would bind your hands, and you're kind of, kind of like a zombie kind of a thing. And so Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And he's like, all right. And then he's got a, 
He's coming out. People were like, what in the world? He's like, who woke me up? Jesus says, take off the grave clothes. He wrapped his face in a headcloth and they took him off. And Jesus said, unwrap him and let him go. Jesus, in that moment, brought one from death to life. Imagine the crowd and the begin the murmurings that begin to happen. The crowd, the disciples that had come there and they were anxious about this. And I bet they're kind of thinking, oh my gosh, now we're really in trouble. What's the next thing? Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Can you imagine? You're sitting there in that moment. Lazarus, come out. And he hops out. Like, wow. That is amazing. But look at this, the next words. But some. There's always but some. That's the problem with the gospel. That's the problem with the good news. It is so simple that people trip over it. That there's like, there's got to be something else. I've got to add some things to it. I've got to do this or I've got to do that. Or, man, I've got to clean up or I've got to go to church this amount. Or I've got to give this much. I've got to do these things. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, it is this simple. Believe with your heart and confess with your mouth and you will be saved. But some. What's it say? The next part. But some, there's always those saddletales. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and the Pharisees called the high council together. So here it is. The religious people of the day, the most studied of the day, the people that knew everything that there was to know about the prophetic message of who the Messiah was going to be and what he looked like and what it was supposed to happen were the very ones that were gathered together. They heard the stories. They'd seen Jesus' ministry for three and a half years. They'd seen him heal the blind. They'd seen him touch the lepers and then be healed. He saw all the different things that he'd been doing, and then he raises a dead man who was dead dead. Dead dead, stinky dead, brings him out. People see it, and they're like, I don't know if that's enough. I don't know if that's enough. They're, they're so blind. When you are blind, you are blind. When you are in darkness, you are in darkness. And here the truth is, is they had seen the miracle of miracles. A man was called out by his name. He walked out, jumped out. They took off the grave clothes, and it was Lazarus, dead, dead. And some are saying, I do not know. Let's gather the religious people together and have a council and decide. This man is alive. He's walking. He's at Starbucks in line. And they're questioning who he is. What are we going to do? They ask together, this man certainly performs many miraculous signs. Verse 48. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Can you imagine? What would your response be? You're there around the grave with Mary and Martha, and you see, you hear, Lazarus, come out. I would like to think that I'd be like, man, I'm in. A God that can do this, I am in. But I may have been one of those butt guys. challenge for us is that as you've been called out, here's the truth of the gospel is that whenever Jesus calls out, he calls out your name specifically, and he says, come from death to life. And those grave clothes come off, 
And as you begin to walk and to do life, as you walk through town, people are going to say, there's something different about you. And the only thing that you could proclaim is that I was once dead and now I'm alive. Jesus has called me by name and I'm walking out and the grave clothes are gone. Not about you, but there's those moments, so I've seen it and I've maybe even experienced it. I'm not going to tell, but you've walked out of a bathroom and you've had toilet paper hanging. All right? And people will not help you. They will laugh at you until finally someone is cool enough and they will step on it and you keep walking and it is gone. And listen, some of us are living our lives that way, that we're stuff that we're holding on to, that we think that gives us worth and value. And Jesus is saying, I said, get the grave clothes off. Quit walking around with stuff that's stinky and everybody's laughing. And going, what in the world? Listen, you are alive and you don't need that stuff anymore. You've been called out to a new life. What's your story? What's your story? As you intersect with your life with Jesus, the good news, are you still trying to earn it? Still trying to figure stuff out and kind of study yourself up so that you can get all of this knowledge and, and kind of earn this place? Or can you just get to that place of saying, listen, I have received a free gift. I think one of the things that we struggle with with the gospel is that we don't do free gifts very well. You've had this happen to you at Christmas where you've gotten a gift and it was a surprise. And all of a sudden you're like, they weren't on my list. And so now you're like, they've given me a gift and I've got to figure it out. And so you're through that whole process of, okay, is this a $50 gift, a $25 gift? This is a hundred. And so you're trying, to, you're trying to match money for money and you're trying to think about it. And then you're like, do I really like this person? Or they, you know what? I mean, so you got all this stuff going on instead of just saying, it's a gift and I do not have to reciprocate. If it's truly a gift, you do not have to give anything back. And Jesus is saying to us, I love you enough that I have died for you in my life. And my death is a gift for you. The most difficult thing you have to do is to receive it and to enjoy it. It's a gift that once you open the box, you're continually finding new things. It's an inexhaustible gift. For is God, if it's God, then he's inexhaustible. You can never fully understand. You can never fully grasp. You can never fully experience everything there is to experience about God. And so God is saying, listen, I have a gift for you that will keep on giving and you will never be able to match it in return. So just receive it and enjoy it and experience it to its fullness. And all it requires of us is to believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth that Jesus gave that gift for you. And he's called you by name. That gift has your name on it. It says Chris. It's not a white elephant gift to whoever. It's to you and you alone. This morning, what's your story? Have you received the gift? Or have you set it aside? My prayer is, and I know Jesus' desire for you, is that you would receive the gift Open it up and begin to enjoy life to the full. And allow yourself and allow others to come alongside of you and unwrap the grave clothes that you think have given you worth and value and something and get rid of them and walk out of the grave and walk with confidence, not because of what you've done, because you know that the only way that you can come out of the grave to new life is because he has called you. That's our prayer. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you what he has done for us on the cross. Thank you for his life, his ministry, the miracles, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and new life. Father, that thank you that what he did on the cross was for us. And that all of our mess, all of our stench, all of our grave clothes, all of our sins are on him. And it's paid in full. Father, this morning, if there's anyone that has never said in their heart and believed and confessed to you, may that be today. Just in this room, may they just do that right now. In Schulenburg, Texas, may they do that. In Midland, Texas, in Oklahoma, and other places. May your heart be transformed by the simple good news that Jesus loved you and gave his life for you. Receive that gift this morning. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.